We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You heard the intro theme song, an Oscar race checkpoint as we have the first of the major precursors have finally come to pass. And we will be talking about the results from the 2022 Golden Globe Awards ceremony. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Yeah, we got Sundance uh, to preview in the middle of this episode. I think we're going to run down about 16, 17 titles mm-hmm. that we're, uh, we're pretty excited about. And then we're going to do some Scream 5, or better known as just Scream, mm-hmm. uh, a little movie that uh, perhaps has shown up on our feed over the past... I mentioned uh, it once or twice in the previous couple of days. Yeah, I, couple, I, I, I you seem know, to one, remember... It it's up. it's a fling right now for right. the for Mike Mike <laughs> and Oscar. No, we we're 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 in deep right now with yeah. the Scream rewatch. We just released uh, our first two episodes of the MMO Screams miniseries, which was a joy to do. They are beefy. They are huge. They are spoiler filled. If you need to catch up on the Screams, if you can't watch them on your own you can listen to them during your work day and get all caught up if you've seen them in the past of course and at the end of today's episode we'll probably do a you know a good 20 minutes of preposoding what we would usually do in a preposode and preview the hell out of it yeah we're gonna give you at the end of uh, today's episode you're gonna have like close to three and a half nearly four hours of scream content from us to get ready to go into uh this weekend's debut of the big 2022 reboot quill that will be scream five we call it scream five even though it's technically called scream so uh we're, we're prepping you for that that'll be at the end of this episode let's start at the beginning of this episode which is one of usually our biggest episodes of the year is when we preview and review the golden globes as it's the first major precursor to come to pass uh michael we've decided here at mmo to kind of put the hfpa on a bit of a probation as far as our programming is concerned yeah we would typically do a golden globes prediction show Mm -hmm. we would talk about the betting we would bet it (laughs) we would uh, (laughs) we would talk about the noms in a whole episode we would we would really feature it. So uh, let's be honest. I mean, who cares about us? But we, w- this hurts us. The fact that the Golden Globes are kind of off the board or in the penalty box or whatever you want to talk about it, mm. uh, it, it, it's a bummer, number one. But it's also yeah. like it hurts our programming. I mean, we, we tend to feature the Globes because it is that marquee kickoff to the major precursor season, season or at least the – a centerpiece in terms of the presentation. I mean, it's the second highest rated award show of the movie calendar yep. for that matter. So this is, this is an awkward situation for us, but it's not like it's awkward all of a sudden, like this has been awkward all the whole year. Cause we've been covering this story like crazy. Yeah. We don't want to relitigate anything here, but if you've uh, go back and listened, uh, obviously the gold, the HFPA has had some uh, serious inclusion and diversity uh, issues uh, that came to light, especially over the past year. And as well as some, uh, ethical concerns outside of just those primary issues as well uh they've said a lot of the right things in terms of trying to revamp and redo and rectify what they were kind of caught doing or not doing for lack of a better term uh and our stance has been you know saying the right thing is one thing but do the right thing and prove it and prove that you've changed and uh we've gone over some of the changes that the hfpa has made in whole 
they were kind of held in probation by NBC, which matters a lot more than MMO holding them in probation, as they didn't have a platform or a cable network or a broadcast network to show their awards ceremony on. NBC backed out of their deal to show the Golden Globes, as they have done routinely every year. So the Golden Globes went forth with no audience, just a small gathering of of laureates and, and HFPA members somewhere in Beverly Hills. They were tweeting out the results of their awards uh, as of Sunday night. We're going to recap a lot of the major categories. There were some surprises, Mike. Mm -hmm. I guess before we get into who won specifically, what are we doing with these Golden Globes in terms of importance this year? I mean, it's it's kind of a weird year, obviously, in a lot of respects, not least of which is that you have this award show, this major precursor that's kind of being held on probation, but there's still a lot of people invested in the winners and tweeting about them and talking about them on film Twitter and analyzing and writing articles about them in the trade. But also, we don't know how much stock is being put into them, their awards, and who they decide to reward this year in terms of the Oscars race. We don't know what's being put stock into in terms of how these films are doing at the box office because we're in, you know, pandemic year three of the never-ending story here. What, what are we doing? How do you view these Golden Globes this year in terms of the Oscars race? I'm going to take the information and just add it to the to the list and yeah. add it to the... I mean, it, that's all you can do. And, and anybody who has, you know, the formulas out there, you know, power to you. And, and we appreciate you and we... We read you, to be honest, like Gold mm -hmm. Derby, etc. Like, if you have a formula and you have the rationale, that's great. Truthfully, I do think it's a case-by-case -case basis every year, and this is a unique situation. The Golden Globes are not being used in marketing by some studios. Some studios basically boycotted them in the lead-up to this, and they knew that it was one of the many reasons why they're not having a show or a live stream or anything. Obviously, the fact that NBC kind of you know, put them on the sideline. They can't necessarily broadcast based on their contracts. So mm. that's part of it. The other part of it in terms of what could diminish their impact is the fact that they're coming kind of first in the major precursors and that wouldn't have been if the Critics' Choice were, were able to keep their date necessarily. Right. And the Critics' Choice could have overshadowed them. And that, like you said, the last time we talked about the Globe noms, we have the Critics' Choice and the Golden Globes jockeying for a position. And I, I had forgotten what had happened originally, but apparently, yes, the Golden Globes are messing with the Critics' Choice based on that date. And the fact that they were able to hold their date, the Golden Globes, it hurts the Critics' Choice. The Critics' Choice, I think, wanted to be that kickoff yeah. of the live award show. And they were, I think they were looking at this date as something where, all right, we can finally crush them with our live award show and their little, you know, fez wearing banquet somewhere Gathering, on broadcast. Yeah. So uh, they're just in, in, in their corner of shame. It, it's totally <laughs> different now. Like now the Golden Globes actually, like you said, when we were talking about it via text message the other day, the Golden Globes are very lucky that this happened yeah. and they do have a platform more than they would have had otherwise. I do wonder what the coverage would have looked like had the Critics' Choice gone forward. And like the default, obviously, for everyone is to put more stock into the Golden Globes, even though there's no 
very little, I should say, historic crossover between the HFPA membership and the Academy membership. But uh, obviously, like you said, the Golden Globes are the second most watched awards program. They have the longevity, et cetera, et cetera. But it would have been fascinating to see where more of the talking points came from. But yeah, I, I can't see how it's anything but a win for the HFPA that the Critics' Choice did abandon that date of January 9th here. And once again, the Golden Globes had it all to themselves and they're the biggest name in town and they were the only game in town and they did uh, give out their awards. So let's uh, dive right in and talk about the biggest one of the night. Best Picture Drama went to The Power of the Dog. That Power of the Dog beat out Belfast, Coda, Dune, and King Richard for that award. Yeah, and The Power of the Dog would take home Best Director for James Campion and Best Supporting Actor as well for Cody Smith-McPhee. We'll talk about them in a minute. I think this is a strong indicator that the power of the dog has a lot, a lot of momentum. And, and, and that's not necessarily something I would say in a vacuum about the golden mm. globes, but that is something I'm saying based on the fact that the power of the dog is the leader in the director category is the leader in the best picture category, supporting actor category, like, like these three awards represent in all the critic circles. So the power of the dog could have, momentum from this and the whenever the critics choice happen plus it's we know it's going to get showered with nominations at at the guilds the power of the dog has real momentum here that i think has to be reckoned with yeah these felt like three chalk picks too like they felt like the favorites going in and they felt like the favorites coming out and the favorites ended up winning the category i saw a lot of people talking about belfast and they they weren't ready to give up that you know Belfast has only soured on film Twitter, but everybody else still thinks it's it's going to be a contender and it still thinks it's a front runner. Vegas does as well, and it, it's its odds are still good, but it has uh, gone a little longer. If it's not Belfast, it's going to be Power of the Dog, at least in the way the Golden Globes are setting everything up, because it seems like the two biggest winners of the night were the Power of the Dog and West Side Story. Right. And now it seems like we have this three-headed monster, at least coming out of the Golden Globes, if you're going to put stock into what the Golden Globes did. Best Picture would seem to be those three jumping out into the front of the pack. Belfast, West Side Story, and The Power of the Dog. And The Power of the Dog, I agree, has to be the front runner because you would think that Campion is going to be the front runner in the directing category, as she has been for a bit now. Uh, and you would think that Cody Smith-McPhee, who is the le- the betting leader in the uh, supporting actor category, has a chance to, to do the same on Oscar Sunday as well. Historically, the Golden Globes matter a great deal in terms of nominations and, and they, they matter a great deal in terms of winners. And typically their winners can cinch nominations after winning, like we saw with Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody was not a likely Best Picture nomination, mm-hmm. even though some people will say just like they... <laughs> I always knew when I saw it in the fall, <laughs> I knew Freddie Mercury... All right, fine, great, C- congratulations. Yeah. But... Most of us follow Those were that. HFPA members that have rolls of $100 bills falling out of their pockets when they stand up because they got just stuffed by uh, Fox, but go ahead. And their boat shoes are still wet from right, all the yachting exactly. they did with Mr. Exactly. May and company. Yeah. But you're right. I think uh, I think this kind of cinches a nomination for The Power of the Dog. Not that not... That, the Power of the Dog was getting an Oscar nomination in Best Picture, Best Director all along. I mean, these are obvious... Uh, at this point in the race it played great at the festivals so this is just another you know notch on the belt for the power of the dog historically the drama winner matters a great deal to the best picture category Uh, only four drama winners have not been nominated in the last 78 years that's only five percent power of the dog was always going to get nominated at the globe so this is not like a stat that really matters all that much 
I, I think what's more telling is that these winners ultimately can matter in terms of the wins at the, at, at, at the best picture category. I mean, 50% of the drama winners have gone on to win best picture. That's 39 out of the last 78. We have another 15% coming from the comedy or musical category. So the Golden Globes, 65% of the time, you know, you're getting one of these Globe winners taking home best pictures. That is a meaningful stat when it's over 50% like that. And it's bearing fruit in terms of the betting odds right now, at least on Oz Shecker and in Vegas and all the different books out there. Because, like I said, I mean, the top three, if you look at best picture right now, the top three betting favorites are in order. Power of the Dog, West Side Story. Those are your two best picture winners, drama and comedy musical. And then Belfast is, is right there in third place, which everyone, if it wasn't going to be Power of the Dog winning best picture drama last night, it was going to be Belfast. So those are, the that makes a lot of sense. There is obviously heft and seriousness and consideration being given to the Globes yet again this year. The whole thing for me, though, is Belfast did not have the momentum coming off all the Critics Awards. The Critics Awards have given the Power of the Dog momentum and this is an indication that the power of the dog is holding that momentum. I mean, is it a strong indication? Is it the same kind of strength that a, a previous Golden Globe win would have had? Probably not, and, and it could still change. It very much could still change. I mean, my initial gut reaction to the power of the dog when I first reviewed it, never mind reviewed it a second time with Andrew, was that this is not a Best Picture winner, but I do think there is a an opening for an art film Best Picture winner this year that seems to be up for grabs, and they could default back to the quote-unquote art film to the issue movie to which is it's it, this is both so you know it's it is indicating momentum jane campion same deal she wins the globe director here mike well i do wonder too if there was a bit of a golden globes puzzle theory going on with jane campion winning director because uh, she does win power of the dog best director at the golden globes beats out kenneth branoff for belfast maggie gyllenhaal for the last lost daughter excuse me spielberg for west side story and denis villeneuve for dune Maybe a bit of a surprise, even though I'm sure I, I'm pretty sure Campion was the betting favorite going in. But I saw a lot of people thinking that Belfast would have a better night and that Branagh would win. I could see there being some kind of explanation that maybe because so many people think Power of the Dog is going to be the best picture or voted it for best picture on their ballots anyway, that they decided they had to go with Campion anyway. So that would win the same picture would be director and best picture drama on their cards, but they still wanted to reward Branagh somewhere, and that's why we got maybe a bit of a surprise in the screenplay category at the Globes. Yeah, I agree with the I agree with that puzzle theory with Brand on screenplay for sure, which kind of throws these categories up in the air mm-hmm. for the next level. I mean, we're still going to have an open race. I don't think they're figuring this out necessarily yet in terms of the vetting and and what what the ultimate ultimately what the academy is going to decide. So again, it's putting these movies forward, but it's a safe. It, these are safe winners for the Golden Globes, like you're saying. These are chalk. So. Yeah. Let historically again, we'll we'll note that fifty five percent of the Globe Director winners ultimately carry over to the Oscar category. Only seven, Mike. Only seven winners have been snubbed. Ben Affleck being the most recent one in twenty twelve for Argo. Clint Eastwood in eighty eight. But only seven out of seventy six 
not nominated. So Jane Campion's getting nominated, though. That's that's the obvious part. Yeah, only three times since 1970 is the underlying stat there. That's pretty uh, pretty wild there. But yeah, it's a non-issue again because it's not really a surprise that Campion won because Campion's going to be nominated. We all expect that anyway. And let's talk about the third of the Power of the Dogs wins. Another above the line when Cody Smith-McPhee wins Best Supporting Actor. He beats out Ben Affleck for the tender bar, Jamie Dornan and Kiernan Hines of Belfast, and Troy Kotzer of Coda. I'm a little surprised by this one. I thought Kotzer had a better shot. Look, I mean, Cody Smith-McPhee is winning the Critics Awards again, so another safer pick. Uh, The winners have gone on to some solid success, 53.8% in common with the Oscars, 42 out of the last 78. We have uh, only eight winners not getting nominated at the Oscars. But again, I think Cody Smith-McPhee was kind of locked in Mm -hmm. for people there. This, to me, feels like it could have gone Belfast, it could have gone Kotzer. It might hurt a little bit, but it it by no means cinches the category for Cody Smith-McPhee. I think this is one of the wider... Uh, you know, more open races. Out there. May not have cinched it, but it definitely, again, impacted his gambling odds. He is leading the category right now for supporting actor. He's a plus 120. You bet 100, you win 120 if he goes on to win the Oscar. Yeah, uh, that's, that's not a heavy favorite, though. I mean, that's... No, no, it's not. Uh, he is uh, ahead of Kiernan Hines, though, who is in second place at 3-1. to one. And uh, third place, actually, is uh, at 7-1. to one. Paolo Rigatoni Parmesan Alfredo, Jared Leto. Is, uh, that's third just because right they the know we exist. Yeah, well, that's uh, I'm pulling for that upset, baby. <laughs> <laughs> West Side Story, like we, like I said earlier, uh, won the best picture for comedy or musical. The other best picture category, it beat out Cyrano, Don't Look Up, Licorice Pizza, and Tick Tick Boom. Again, I don't know that anyone was shocked by this. I don't know what this means either. We have uh, historically much lesser of a crossover. Only 15% of those winners have carried over. Nine out of the last 58. Uh, in terms of nominations, 62% of the time, the Best Picture Comedy or Musical winner gets nominated at the Oscars. That's 36 out of the last 58. So this winner, as we saw with Borat's subsequent movie film, this winner doesn't even necessarily get a Best Picture nomination, historically. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think that we have a strong candidacy for West Side Story. It's, it's obvious. We talked about this ad nauseum. Should it be necessarily, you know, we, we, we're on the other side of that argument, even though we love some of the craft achievements. The craft, yeah, the craft yeah. alone. I mean, if you're Dune, you could see why it's going to be a Best Picture nominee. West Side Story, you could see it's Spielberg for the love of God. I mean, you just yeah. you, you get it. And there's stronger competition in this year than I think in previous years. For the for the, you know for the love of God, we had music, the quote unquote mm-hmm. movie of uh, of the Razzies last year as a best <laughs> musical or comedy nomination. Right. So right. this is stronger competition. Don't look up is a bona fide best picture contender by many pundits out there. By many, by many opinions, I was hearing it as like this sneaky best picture favorite uh, in terms of yeah. uh, little gold men, etc. It's kind of a shame, only in that West Side Story is so entrenched as the favorite here that like West Side Story winning this category, I think it actually is helped the least out of any of these five movies with this win. This fez wearing coven of Caucasians <laughs> is gonna love West Side Story. They're oblivious, airheaded possible racist 
loving this movie. So go fuck yourselves, HFPA. Sorry, not sorry. I, this is where I just get mad. This is you where can I tell just tell why like, we wanted to do Scream in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- this is look at West Side Story as superlatives. We're fine with those. Yeah. The fact that this is such an obvious win on the night bothers me. Yeah. I'm, I won't. I won't hide it. I don't necessarily love like a Don't Look Up or Licorice Pizza either. I get why this one Tick Tick Boom would have been my choice. Tick, tick, I have not seen Cyrano yet. Yeah. Fine. I know you like I know you like a couple other movies in there. You're probably rooting for them, but I'm not going to say like I'm going to use this argument against the Golden Globes for some categories and against some others. But this is like I get why this happened. I, I, it's just I'm so depressed with the Golden Globes this year. They've taken all the. You're absolutely right. Like it hurts our show, but it, it like it's taken all the fun out of this year because of what they are, have done. But yeah, it, it's just you know I I'm like fine. Don't look up, didn't win. Oh well, Westside, whatever. Look Westside it, Story won. If the Golden Globes were were not mucked in scandal, mm-hmm. they, West Side Story probably still wins this category. Just if you, if you have yeah. an older, I mean, most likely, you have an older most likely. voting body. Yeah, most it's likely, winning yeah, that category. And all I all I have to say is I I still have not watched Power of the Dog yet. I just I hope I like it because again, Best Picture is West Side Story, Power of the Dog, and Belfast right now. And I those would are the bet. Three good money against you liking that movie so i hope i hope that's like some kind of three-dimensional chess reverse psychology because you know that i know that you know you you don't care about my opinion of whether i want you to like something to to like something i appreciate your depressing my expectations so maybe i can overcome them but uh as far as West Side Story, <laughs> it had a big night on the comedy or musical side and in supporting actress, which accounts for only one category there. So it takes both the best of both drama and comedy or musical. Rachel Ziegler won Best Actress Comedy Musical. Ariana DeBose won Best Supporting Actress. We'll start with Ziegler. Big night for her. She won Best Actress Comedy or Musical over Marianne Cotillard for Annette, Alana Haim for Licorice Pizza, Jennifer Lawrence and Don't Look Up, and Emma Stone for Cruella. 66%. Of the nomi- uh, of the winners of comedy musical actress have gone on to get nominated at the Oscars. Uh, only twenty three out of the last seventy one have not been nominated. So I mean that's a healthier stat for Rachel Ziegler. She wasn't necessarily in everybody's fives. So this is that's a good omen for her. Yeah, Alana Haim is kind of on that fringe as well. That probably would have been a nudge more in her direction because they might be fighting fighting it out for for a nomination there. I wonder if Ziegler is more entrenched than we realize, because she's got a couple big wins now, National Board of Review, now a Golden Globe on her back, and... Zero the... crossover with the Academy, by the way, just right. for the record. That's but true. You're right. you're right. But still, I mean, the favorite, the favorite's favorite in Best Actress, which we thought was a runaway, got upset at the Golden Globes, which was the biggest upset of the night, we'll get into it. But, I mean, I wonder if the door is a little more open than we realize for Ziegler to make some big noise come Oscar Sunday. Depends on how the Academy is going to feel about West Side it... Story in total. Might be a shame for her in the sense that Andre Day had that moment last year, right? Mm-hmm. She had that moment when she won the drama category where it, it put that movie, The United States versus Billie Holiday, front and center in everybody's, or at least on the top of the screener pile from that moment on. And it really, it really raised her profile when you when you get a, a when you get a win like that early in the precursor season. And maybe she would have been in regardless, who knows? This 
the fact that we don't have a big award show where Rachel Seeger can have a big moment, it might lessen this impact. It might leave things more open for Alana Hain. Yeah, I but on, it was it's a different I mean, I get what you're saying, I don't disagree, but it's also worth mentioning that Andre Day was a solo nominee representing her movie. Rachel Ziegler is the lead actress in a movie that's going to be taken very seriously in the Best Picture category and director and a bunch of other categories. People have will have watched Rachel Ziegler yeah. performance regardless. So, yeah, it, yeah I, I'm with you there. I just think uh, I just think anytime you got a newcomer, there are dues to be paid. There, mm-hmm. there are things you got to you know knock down. There are walls to be knocking knocked down. You know, and, and especially a younger actress. And speaking of walls being knocked down, Ariana DeBose did win Best Supporting Actress. Uh, she has taken hold of this category. She wins it over Katrina Balfe for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst in Power of the Dog, Anjanue Ellis for King Richard, and Ruth Nega for Passing. Winners in this category, they translate uh, in terms of Oscar nominations. 73 out of the last 78 winners ultimately get nominated at Oscar, 94%. Uh, so, Let's let's be honest here. Ariana DeBose is continuing momentum. She's winning yeah. a lot of critics awards. So like The Power of the Dog, that's where I kind of analyze this, you know? I mean, that whenever you got momentum, it can be accelerated and the Globes can accelerate momentum for sweeps. They've done it in the past. Sure. This could be an indication for Ariana DeBose just being that strong this year. I also wonder if we have the supporting actress field set. I wonder if these are going to be the five names that we kind of keep hearing over and over again the more we go on. I wouldn't mind it. I have a few sentimental favorites that I'm still kind of pulling for, but it's hard because I don't know who I want them to get in over. So that that gets a little tricky down the line. I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Ariana DeBose win it, though. I thought she was that good in West Side Story, a movie that ultimately we got aggravated with so it's yes so that speaks to her performance speaks to her abilities but if you're going to tell me that uh you know jesse buckley gabby hoffman nina arianda katherine hunter no katherine hunters that's that's too much of a new york pick <laughs> but look at i mean and dowd obviously martha plimpton i'm a I'm huge fan of their performances they're probably higher up on my list than they are in terms of punditry fives We'll see. Ultimately, I think I think you're right. I think this is a typical five in terms of a lot of uh, critics associations, the, the the big ones anyway. And um, this this could be it. And doubt is hanging around in the betting lines as well. She's only up as high as ten to one. So for those for the fans of Mass out there, in which there are seem to be several still on film Twitter, I don't think it's an open and closed case. Um, worth noting just again that Ariana Debose wins this over Belfast over power of the dog they're all in this one category over king richard as well uh it's definitely a show of strength like you said for her golden globes like uh, west side story uh that much is clear this i don't necessarily look at this one as the coattails win though i think i feel like this was going to happen no matter what yeah and then uh you know rachel ziegler to me feels more like the the win where you could say all right they really love that movie they all watch that movie okay well, here's the reason that Ziegler's door may be more open to make a little noise on the Oscars night because Nicole Kidman wins Best Actress Drama, beating out Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Lady Gaga for House of Gucci, and most notably, Kristen Stewart for Spencer. So I'm going to have to do a deeper dive into what the British critics are thinking of the Kristen Stewart performance. We always mm. knew there was going to be a barrier to the the fact that the American thespian was was playing Princess Diana. 
I wonder if that's a factor. I, I, like, I don't want to overstate it because everybody agrees she was really good in it. But the question becomes, was she, was, is she this runaway winner? And so far, we're not seeing that necessarily yeah. indicated in all the awards. I'm glad that she got the early favoritism, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily last. We, we mentioned it back when. We were talking about her, you know, lighting up Venice and, and being the, the Telluride, uh, the queen of Telluride there and, and vastly different fashion choices between the two events. And, yeah, this is kind of a bummer for her. If, if, you know, we're kind of rooting for that sweep. Uh, Nicole Kidman, longtime favorite of the Golden Globes. How much do you... How much do you weigh this one? I don't know. I mean, it is still Nicole Kidman, right? Like, I, I had we treated this Golden Globes like we have in years past and done the full-fledged predictions and gambling preview show, I don't know that I would have gone full Rosamund Pike like I did last year. I don't know that I would have actually predicted her. Uh, Nicole Kidman, that is. But I absolutely would have warned everyone to just play it safe out there because we've talked about this for months now the hey i don't know i'm just saying that you know nicole kidman's so beloved and lucille ball was so beloved and it's yeah. a biopic and it's a weird hfpa voting body and it seems like all those tie-breaking type of anecdotes that we've been discussing here for months about how you know being the ricardos could play more to a voting body than people think yada 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 it, it seems like they may have aligned here on all the hfpa ballots for this category well uh, ex- with the exception of one person the Globe Drama Actress winner gets nominated at the Oscars. So we had this uh, event in 1988 when Shirley MacLaine won the Globe in a three-way tie with Jodie Foster and Sigourney Weaver, who then did not get nominated. Uh, Shirley MacLaine then did not get nominated at the Oscars. So if you win this category, you get nominated at the Oscars. And that speaks to kind of where we were at with Nicole Kidman because was she was she necessarily a cinch in this category before this night now you know we could kind of make the argument but, but look I mean Jodie Foster was a name won this cat won not this category but won the Mauritanian supporting actress category last year this doesn't necessarily translate all the time this could be I mean I guess if you're betting on an exception year this would have to be it but I mean, Nicole's in most people's fives gambling odds say that she has the second best odds right now of the category. Kristen Stewart, still the leader, Nicole Kidman, four to one on most books. Yeah, it makes sense. Go to best actor for drama. Uh, Will Smith does win the golden globe. Best actor drama beats out Mahershala Ali for swan song, Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbill for power of the dog and Denzel Washington for the tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. 74 out of the last 78 globe winners and actor drama. They ultimately get nominated at the Oscars. That's 94.8%. So that's a stat that's saying Will Smith is going to get nominated at the Oscars. But we knew this already. Yeah. So again, this is kind of a chalk pick uh, in terms of uh, you know the nomination side of it. What does it matter in terms of the showdown with Benedict Cumberbatch? That might be more telling because it did seem like the Globes loved the power of the dog three wins on the night i don't know how to i don't know how to gauge this win for will smith i mean we've seen we've seen the start of what looked like a sweep last year for chadwick boseman in the category yeah and it did not pan out at the end of the day (laughs) and if any if any you know european based (laughs) 
<laughs> voting body was going to zig when everybody else was zagging, they could they could have done it, and they did not. They went with Chadwick Boseman there, and they, and ultimately Hopkins came with the late breaking move. It seems like again this is a category in terms of the lead actor category for the Oscars where we have three nominations that are pretty much locked down. Will Smith you would think is going to be there, Cumberbatch you think is going to be there and the winner of best actor comedy or musical Andrew Garfield who does win for Tick Tick Boom, he seems to be pretty much entrenched as well. He won it over DiCaprio, Dinklage, Cooper Hoffman and Anthony Ramos. Now 35 of the last 71 winners of this category have been nominated at the Oscars, Mike. That's mm. not a great stat here. So how much gravitas do you give this win to Andrew Garfield in a normal year? Does this raise him to best actor contender status? Look, I think in terms of the punditry, he's there already. He's a contender, but it's like a he's like a tier two contender. This seemed to be Cumberbatch versus Smith for a while. Does this help Garfield crack into that conversation? I don't, th- I don't like I can't. In my brain, I can't reckon the fact that, all right, Garfield and Cumberbatch are kind of splitting votes with one another. Like, that doesn't make any sense. One's a musical, one's an art yeah. film. So it's, I, I think Garfield kind of cinches a nomination here, is, is my guess. That's I, I mean, my guess as well. It's a high-profile win, even still. And he's got a lot of wins on the, on the year so far with the Critics Awards. So that, that's where I'm at with it. It does leave a Royal Rumble for the the other two nominations. Well, that's what I was going to say and why I feel so secure about Garfield being a nominee is that, like, he at least has this hardware now. Who You could make the case for a billion different people to have those other two slots. So just by default, it kind of seems like he should be that third line. It's likely, I would say. I would be surprised if Garfield, you know, took this resume into and doesn't get a SAG or doesn't get an Oscar Mm -hmm. nominee at this point. I would have said the same thing though if DiCaprio won it, to be honest, because I mm, he got he got point. a couple things and you know Washington's been a little hit and miss on the critic circuit. Joaquin Phoenix not necessarily getting a lot of attention. So the big names, the former winners, they aren't playing as well as I thought they would play. Kind of going into this, I thought this would like be six heavy hitters for five spots but instead i think the field is widened in in Mm. lead actor you have a peter dinklage getting a lot of love and and he he was nominated here this win might have helped him you have like hitatoshi nishijima Mm. who could be a spoiler yeah he just got he's been getting some major critic awards jude hill's still very high on on pundits uh list nicholas cage has been getting some hey don't forget me wins from critic circles and simon rex has got his movie premiere and i mean this is all a large field and lead actor we're gonna have a lot to say about this category going forward agree with that we'll move on to screenplay like we kind of mentioned earlier kenneth branagh did get the win maybe an upset over pta for licorice pizza campion for the power of the dog mckay of don't look up and sorkin for being the ricardos it's kenneth branagh's category to win in the past, this has meant a lot because it's one category that mm-hmm. becomes two. It means a lot in terms of nominations. For certain, the winner typically gets nominated. I lost that stat. I apologize, but that's it's like a 90-something percenter. We've gone over it in the past. In terms of the winners being in common with the Oscars, it's still a good it's still a good number. 60.9% of the time it happens, 39 out of the last 64 years, Mike. Belfast screenplay is going to be there anyway, though, right? It's going to be nominated. Yeah. Is it necessarily going to win an original screenplay? 
I, I'm not I'm not cinching it in there. I don't think nah, the I puzzle either. theory is going to shake out the same way, and I like your puzzle theory on this one. Yeah, interesting. Uh, best non-English film, Drive My Car, is going to end up in the best picture conversation, uh, whether all of us are ready for it or not. It just keeps winning everything it's in. Now, the stats don't necessarily support Drive My Car coming from the Globes. Only 21 out of the last 55 winners have been in common with the Oscars. That's 38%. But Drive My Car is winning major Yeah, the bigger awards. story would have been if Drive My Car didn't win this category. You know, I agree with that. So this seems to be a year where this candidacy is in frontrunner status. Drive My Car right now everybody's got, if you're put placing early money, you can place early money in this international feature category. <laughs> Drive my car is probably worth paying a vig on. If anybody, if anybody is, it beats out compartment number six, the hand of God, a hero and parallel mothers on the globe stage. And Canto wins best animated feature beats out flea Luca, my sunny mod and Raya and the last dragon. And Canto was always going to get nominated, but, yeah, the crossover stat is strong here. 48 of the last 70 nominees are in common with the Oscars. They had a lot of years with three nominees, so this is like the entirety of the animated feature crossover. 11 out of the last 15 animated winners are in common. Of course, a lot of those are Pixar or uh, a few Disney animation categories. So they, they've dominated this branch at the Oscars and certainly in the precursors. And Canto is continuing that. Which is not surprising either of us here, Mike. I mean, we've, no. we've been over this. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand. I mean, maybe I have not seen Flea yet, and that's going to be something historic that might have a chance. So I can at least understand that being neck and neck. But Encanto should be in the conversation of winning this category. I, I will say that I think if Flea is boxed out clearly of documentary and of international feature, mm-hmm. Flea has enough emotional impact, right? To get there. The problem with Flea is it's so spread out. Like it was a huge hit at Sundance. Mm. And then it's been playing festivals forever. Yes, it's winning a lot of awards, but it's really hard to have the same momentum that it had this time last year carry all the way through. Mm. So it gets a bit forgotten. It gets forgotten from the next cool movie you saw in these categories. And Drive My Car had the fall push in at least the international category. So now I'm wondering, does Flea make the trifecta? Mm, good and, points. And Canto just hit. It just hit. It's got momentum now. And everyone can see it in their homes. And the documentary branch is a bunch of cuckoos. <laughs> they're looty tunes. I don't know what they're going to do. So they could pick Flea. They could pick anything. And what does it mean if they pick whatever? It doesn't matter. They could pick anything. I just watched Faya Dai. They could pick that. It's a beautiful art piece of just black and white cinematography, like the upteenth movie of with great black and white cinematography this year. Could be, I don't know. There is the Looney Tune factor to uh, consider in all this. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Last two, both musical categories. Hans Zimmer for Dune wins Best Original Score, beating out Alexander Duplat for The French Dispatch, Jermaine Franco for Encanto, uh, Johnny Greenwood for The Power of the Dog, and Alberto Iglesias for Parallel Mothers. Yeah, these stats don't really help us. The, the score winners... 32 out of the last 68 year, years in common with the Oscars. That's 47%. Uh, in terms of uh, the song category you're about to go over, it's 55%, 32 out of 58. 
Yeah, that's I kind of the, that the, the whether or not the stat bears it out. You, Hans Zimmer's probably going to be on the Oscars conversation and No Time to Dive, Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, which won Best Original Song, definitely going to be a nomination for the Best Original Song category. Uh, so that did win the Golden Globe as well over Be Alive from King Richard and Beyonce, Dos Orgitas from Encanto and Lin-Manuel Miranda, Down to Joy from Van Morrison and Belfast, and Here I Am, Respect, Jennifer Hudson and Carol King. Okay, some Globe TV winners, Jeremy Strong, Sarah Snook from Succession, Oh Young Soo from Squid Game. Uh, that was a cool win there of a, of a TV show that I just watched. I don't think I've reviewed it on here yet. Anyway, we need a What We're Watching coming up. Maybe I will review Squid Game. That was wild. Uh, <laughs> Michaela J. Rodriguez from Pose. MJ Rodriguez would have been a big moment. That's That's making history, and that's one of the... You know that that really saddens me that they she couldn't have that moment on the Golden Globe mm. stage, an early precursor. That's a bummer, but she did get on social media and, and give a rousing speech, so that was cool. Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso, Gene Smart, Hacks, Michael Keaton, and Kate Winslet, kind of you know, old Golden Globe picks. Mm-hmm. Dope Six, Mayor of Easttown. There, I know Kate Winslet was awesome. I haven't seen Dope Sick yet. Otherwise, Succession, The Underground Railroad, and Hacks take the big awards for the series categories any anything stand out from you in terms of tv where you're like uh very surprised or, or extra happy would why would jason sudeikis ever take another job <laughs> all he does is win when he's ted lasso he i almost watched him in a movie the other night where he's completely against type completely against ted lasso it's just going to be like this uh neo-noir where he just gets out of jail and he's caught into this criminal oh. underworld thing and it didn't get well reviewed and I forget the name of it but I almost watched it regardless. You know why it didn't get well reviewed? He's not Ted Lasso. Not Ted Lasso. <laughs> Put Ted Lasso in that situation, he's it's going to be an A+ plus movie. <laughs> make 17 dad jokes in a row and then make fun of himself for making said dad jokes in a row. That speech he gave, I forget which stage it was because he literally does win everything. It might have been the Emmy stage. He's like, I can't believe this is two things Americans usually hate, uh, soccer and kindness. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. He's not wrong. Let's talk about Sundance, Mike, and a preview of some uh, titles that are going to be coming out. You already have a bunch of tickets ready for you to go. Last year's Sundance was a harrowing experience for you. Yeah, I watched 39 films, and I didn't love all of them. Let's just put it that way. This year, I'm going to probably watch (laughs) half of that, but maybe more than half of that. I'm probably going to watch 25 movies at the end of the day. I have tickets for 16 right now, and I might pick a few more off. Packages just readjusted and went back on sale uh, when we're recording this today on Monday the 10th. You guys will hear this to, uh, on Tuesday, so you can buy a package for 100 bucks, 750 whatever. They, they range from, from those price points. Individual tickets, they will go on sale for 20 bucks a pop on Thursday. So you, there's two ways you can buy tickets, or two types of tipic- tickets you could buy, I should say. You could buy a premiere ticket, which is a specific time, and you only have three hours to watch that movie, but you get the Q&A, you get the whole experience. Or you could buy the all day availability. So basically it's on demand to you all day. So just beware when you purchase your Sundance tickets, what you're purchasing. Very good information. Thank you for filling all of us in on that. Let's talk about some of these titles that you have highlighted. We'll start with 892, Michael. Yeah, John Boyega and the late, great 
Michael Kenneth Williams, Nicole Bahari, uh, director Abby Damaris Corbin. This looks like uh, one of many heavy emotional films, but John Boyega's got a, an excellent still. He shaved his head for this. Mm. We'll see. Seems like something very uh, light and happy and not going to leave any scars whatsoever. A Marine War veteran faces mental and emotional challenges when he tries to reintegrate back into civilian life. Good God. In both schedules of this Sundance Film Festival, this was featured on like the second big night, which typically, at least the last two years, has been a been a night where they put out good movies. They want to lead you know, off their best or lead with their best. So 892 mm. again, I think it's playing on the second night anyway, and I got a ticket to it. So I mean, just, it, it, just based on the, the showcase of it and the timing of it, I'm guessing it's good. So we'll see. After Yang is another one. It's one we've talked about and previewed already previously. Yeah, Coconata is a cool director. Columbus was a really good film with Haley Lou Richardson in it. She's also in this. Colin Farrell, Joni Turner-Smith. This is 824. Obviously, the applause will come from that. Uh, I'm sorry. You know what? Never mind. It's not playing. We're going to all have to applaud A24 when it shows up on our screens at home. That's a bummer. But <laughs> Clifton Collins Jr., great reviews from Cannes last year. Of these films, I'm as excited to see after Yang than almost anything here. In a near future, a family reckons with questions of love, connection, and loss after their AI helper unexpectedly breaks down. So basically, Colin Farrell's trying to talk to his kid about the robot dying. We all lost our phones, and we don't know what to do. Am I okay, Michael, is another one you've talked about. Yeah, directed by Tig Notaro, uh, a comedian favorite of ours, Mike, going way yeah. back. Uh, she's making her directorial debut. This movie is starring Dakota Johnson and Sonoya Mizuno of Devs and uh, Ex Machina. A lot of cool stuff she's been doing on her CV. Yeah, love Tig Notaro. She's cool to see that she's uh, going to be co-directing this one, I guess. So they're both listed as directors. Anyway, her, her wife, Stephanie Alin, uh, gets a directing credit on this as well. The premise reads, Lucy and Jane have been best friends their entire lives. Only when Lucy embarks on a personal journey will she face a test of her friendship and her sense of self on a path she may not be entirely ready to take. I think directorial debuts can be personal as well. Mm. So Tig Notaro, I know she's got a hell of a story to tell about herself so if, if there's any you know anything she's drawing her and her partner there are drawing for from this or into this movie it's going to be it's going to pack a wallop let, let's just say yeah. so i'm interested it seems like most of these titles are capable of packing quite the wallop uh call jane is no exception to that mike yeah, Elizabeth Banks, Kate Mara, Sigourney Weaver, Wunmi Musaku of Loki and His House. She really broke out last year leading up to that BAFTA nomination. Call Jane is one of those movies that they're featuring on a lot of the, you know, 10 must-see movies lists in terms of Sundance. A lot of the previewers are, are talking about Call Jane and, and li listen to this premise. Yeah, so Call Jane, a married woman with an unwanted pregnancy, lives in a time in America where she can't get a legal abortion and works with a group of suburban women to find help. So with that premise, I very much look forward to the Anonymous Academy member going out of their way to chastise this movie, as they did never really, sometimes always, and prove how out of touch they are. 
But Never Rarely, Sometimes Always launched at Sundance and, and did very well. It's a theme to this Sundance Film Festival where women's issues are brought to the fore, and, and that's exciting and necessary and, and long overdue, even though Sundance has done a better job or as good a job as anybody. So Call Jane is something I think everybody's anticipating. John Magaro, Chris, Chris Messina, they played some fun roles of late. Chris Messina was just in that uh, Rosamund Pike movie with those great suits, Mike. <laughs> So I don't know if he's a doctor in this one. I am sure he won't be as well-dressed Christmas Cena of Six Feet Under, etc. This is uh, directed by the writer of Carol, Phyllis Nagy, who doesn't make movies that often as a director. She does them like every seven, eight years, and she, and she nails them. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to write down what she's done, but she's done some uh, art house hits, let's just say. Go from great suits to arguably the greatest title of any 2022 movie, yet cha-cha real smooth. Yeah, it's the Festival of Dakota Johnson. She's also in this movie. She's been busy, yeah. Leslie Mann, Brad Garrett, and the director himself, who also acts in these movies, Cooper Rafe. Uh, he did Shithouse last year. Which was <laughs> he, like a surprise hit in some ways. It won the South by Southwest yeah. Audience Award, I believe. Was it two years ago? Was it last year? I think it was two years ago, because I think Language Lessons won it last year. So two years ago, Shithouse won South by Southwest and Cooper Rafe was really good in that. Now, I didn't love Shithouse as much as some other people, but you could see how talented he is. And, he, and the drama really, really stretches in that movie. And they're stretching it out over one college night. But it, like you wouldn't think it would be that dramatic. Just these kids are out and they're in college and they're having fun. And he makes a lot out of it. So I, I see some a lot, a lot of talent with him. He might be the greatest titler ever. He's good. Shit cha-cha house. real smooth. Cha-cha real smooth. Here's the cha-cha real smooth synopsis. A young man who works <laughs> as a bar mitzvah party host strikes up a friendship with a mother and her autistic daughter. So they're going to be electric sliding. They're going to be cha-cha real smoothing. <laughs> I don't know what the kids dance to anymore, but apparently they're dancing to that song still. So that's good. That's a good sign for us, Michael, because we remember dancing to that song. All right. We'll talk about Duel, spelled D-U-A-L, Mike. This is one hell of a premise. Uh, yeah. Sci-fi, Karen Gillan of Guardians of the Galaxy, Aaron Paul. Serious sci-fi here. So a woman opts for a cloning procedure after she receives a terminal diagnosis, but when she recovers, her attempts to have her clone decommissioned fail, leading to a court-mandated duel to the death. What is with all these cloning indie films lately? Mahershala Ali just did a really nice job in Swan Song. Similar setup. Very different. (laughs) Very different uh, narrative going forward for Duel than what happened in Swan Song. Uh, I'm not spoiling I mean, I'm intrigued, don't get me wrong, but also, if it's a clone fighting a clone to the death, it has to end in a tie, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, theoretically, that should be the case. I would give the edge to the... The, the the being that has been sentient for longer okay. experience may matter. I don't know. <laughs> Directed by Riley Stearns of Faults, which was kind of a messed up movie with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I mm. believe. And then The Art of Self-Defense, which was Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. And he handled the action really well in that movie. It was like this weird kung fu film about a, a karate class gone awry where the guy starts like this cult out of it. Anyway... Another talented director that I'm kind of going with here for Duel. Fire of Love is another title, Mike. Okay, so this is a documentary about Vulcanists. And that's not Spock 
and his wife. This is about uh, a pair of volcano investigatory scientists. And, you know, I'm not even going to spoil what happens, whatever, but this is something that has been on both opening nights. Okay, so both schedules, because Sundance had a whole schedule. They threw it away, and they redid the schedule. Fire of Love is an opening night film, so that typically says it's a crowd pleaser, you know, or at least it's going to be a movie to reckon with, so I'm interested. I will not read the synopsis, as it seems to give too much away, but suffice to say it's pretty much what I have planned for the series finale of MMO at the same time, so look forward to that. We'll talk about Fresh, Mike. Sebastian Stan... Daisy Edgar Jones of Normal People, they've been having some of the most sex scenes going. <laughs> this is this is premiering at 2 a.m. our time. Yeah, well, the synopsis for Fresh kind of makes that make sense. The horrors of modern dating seen through one young woman's defiant Ugh. battle to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetite. So this movie's for those who watched Winter Soldier and thought, you know, it's fine. I just wish he was a bit more of a cannibal. Oh, you think this... <laughs> You're going the horror route. I'm just going the pervert route. I think this is going to be, you know, this is going to be constant sex scenes. Hey, what I'm guessing. why not both? Why not both is hey, what I always say. Well, that's going to throw me for, I'm going to get icky yucky. And I'm going to, I'm going to regret buying the ticket for this. If this is like more than just normal sex, like if it's more than the missionary position, I don't know if I can hang. I don't know if I can deal with it. I'm out. <laughs> Click. Now, I have an all-day ticket for this one, so I'm not watching it at 2 a.m. I'll be fast asleep. Uh, But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Sebastian Stan, Daisy Edgar Jones. Emergency is another one you have highlighted. R.J. Kyler of The Harder They Fall. He's been in a lot of cool stuff of late. Madison Thompson, who I know you know from Ozark, Michael. Mm. This is directed by Carrie Williams, who was in last year's festival with our hashtag J. And, you know, his CV, he's just been doing well at the festivals, Carrie Williams. So I I was intrigued by this setup. And go figure, a lot of the, you know, previews say this movie has comedic potential as well, somehow. But go ahead. Okay, Uh, emergency, ready for a night of partying. A group of Latino college students must weigh the pros and cons of calling the police when faced with an emergency. So another fun, lighthearted, carefree fare coming in this one. Maybe I'm reading the uh, previews wrong, (laughs) but regardless, this seemed like a must-buy. It's one of those first few nights. I think it might be the first night again, so they're featuring it. Uh, If you didn't get enough of... Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz with being the Ricardos, you get another chance with something from Amy Poehler, Lucy and Desi, Mike. Yeah, I mean, the premise is that it's a documentary about Lucy and Desi, and it's a must-watch because Amy Poehler's doing it, and if anybody understands comedy, she does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Master is another one with a couple big names attached to it as well. So Master and God's Company, Country, excuse me, those have similar premises. They're about college professors, African-American women college professors. And in this case, it's Regina Hall. And, and in God's Country, it's Thandi Newton. Regina Hall's had some awards love with Support the Girls. Sure. Remember that big win for her? Like, uh, what was that? What? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm going back into my brain. She had a big win there late, you know, in the, you know, at the was edge it, of precursor season. What the was hell it was it? Was it a Gotham? Might have been a Gotham. Yeah, it might have been a Gotham. Oh, I my can't God. Remember. I'll, I'll look it up. Keep going. 
Ella Hunt of Dickinson. She's uh, she holds like the uh, the straight man role in that show. Everybody else is kind of being goofy and funny around her, so she's got dramatic chops against all those you know younger actors and actresses in, in the Apple TV show. And Italia Ryder from Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. We've been wanting to see her do more things. So it's set in a college, directed by uh, Mariama Diallo, and uh, it's going to be a heavy premise, but it's another featured movie master from Regina Hall or with Regina Hall. Excuse me. Was it the New York Film Critics Circle? That sounds right. She they won that. She was nominated at the Gotham. She didn't win the Gotham. She was nominated at Indie Spirit. Didn't win. Huh. But she won the New York Film Critics Circle. It goes to show you how deeply we cut at Mike <laughs> Mike and Oscar. I remember that being a big deal. Regina Hall getting that big win. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, we, that, was, that was a standout thing, and I cannot, yeah. For the life yeah. of me, remember. Uh, the Princess, we have another Princess Diana documentary. This comes from Ed Perkins of Tell Me Who I Am. We also have uh, Resurrection with another name that we're very familiar with here. Yeah, Rebecca Hall. Just, I mean, just take my money. Rebecca Hall, yep. Tim Roth, director yeah. uh, who's a producer on The Dig, which was kind of a cool Netflix movie that I enjoyed. Uh, and it's just Rebecca Hall falling apart and yet. You know, just holding on by a thread in, in this premise, but it's Rebecca Hall dealing with subject matter that's like too serious, but only Rebecca Hall can deal with it, right? I don't so, think she's capable of doing unserious subject matter, to be quite honest, on screen. She's the most dramatic, and it's amazing to watch every time. The resurrection synopsis, Margaret's life is in order. She is capable, disciplined, and successful. Everything is under control, that is, until David returns, carrying with him the horrors of Margaret's past. Heavy, heavy, heavy premise. The still is unnerving. Just her look in in the still from this movie. So I had, you know, again, just take my money. <laughs> the, the final one here. When you finish saving the world, Julianne Moore, ooh, or or Julianne Moore as she's known from uh, <laughs> from her Oscar winning past, not Bill related to Bill Maher, right? Anyway, Finn Wolfhard, I believe, is playing her son. This is another A24 movie and another movie that they've been featuring on on the opening night of every festival. A lot of a lot of this still everywhere in the previews as well uh, in terms of uh, when you finish saving the world. Evelyn and her oblivious son Ziggy seek out replacements for each other as Evelyn desperately tries to parent an unassuming teenager at her shelter while Ziggy fumbles through his pursuit of a brilliant young woman at school. Some international films, Utama and Klondike. I'm hearing good things about them, so I have tickets for them. Uh, Alice with Kiki Palmer. That premise seems very close to Antebellum, which had a lot of potential with Janelle Monae. So Kiki Palmer and Common, they're acting in in Alice. And then I have a God's Country ticket with Thandie Newton as a college professor. Again, similar to Master. So common themes, uh, common premises. For some of these, we'll see how they play out. But uh, big names at this Sundance Film Festival, especially in our circles, Mike. So and big names, gl- including Common. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, common Oscar winner. <laughs> common. So, we will wrap up here with the final segment, talking about our final uh, 
preview for the movie Scream. And as we told you last episode, we're planning on getting to Scream uh, at some point next week. We're going to give ourselves the weekend to take it in, hopefully a couple times, and give you a full-fledged review of it. So we have two MMO Screams precursor episodes out. We cover Scream 1 and Scream 2 in the first MMO Screams episode. We cover 3 and 4 in the second one. Here is the premise for 2022 Scream or Scream 5. 25 years after the original series of murders in Woodsboro, a new killer emerges and Sidney Prescott must return to uncover the truth. So the directors of Ready or Not, which was a movie that we really liked, the both of us. Yes. A couple years back, horror movie about the bride who had the uh, the, the rich family who had the tradition of hunting down <laughs> that bride in a game of hide-and-go-seek. Whether or not they there. used weapons depended upon the year, depended mm-hmm. upon what... Uh, you know, a, a demon or not would tell them before the game would start, right? right so, right. you know, the, the, that old chestnut. Let those among us who haven't partaken. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I think their their tandem was called Radio Silence, this director tandem. So they go way back. Good directors in terms of what else I saw. I think they did Southbound as well. James Vanderbilt is the writer, one of the writers that Fincher employed for Zodiac. He also did Murder Mystery, so he's got a wide range there in terms of the whodunit genre. And then Guy Busick was a Ready or Not screenwriter. You know the cast in terms of Campbell, Cox, and Arquette. We do have many big names joining up uh, that uh, of the younger generation. Melissa Bar- Barrera, we just saw in her in In Heights. Jack Quaid is from The Boys. He's also Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's son right there. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Jenny Ortega has been in a lot of episodes of You on Netflix. Dylan Minnette, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. A lot of episodes for him. Jasmine Savoy Brown, she's a new star of Yellow Jackets. She's from The Leftovers originally. You might have remembered her five or six years ago and that hbo show mikey madison mike she is sadie from once upon a time in hollywood she wound up in the pools all i'll say so it's mikey madison a familiar face from mmo and then mason gooding he was in love victor he's he's been in a lot of stuff i should have wrote down more of a resume for him but these are recognizable faces of young hollywood and that's what Scream's been known for. We've commented that all the way through, how they always get these young actors that are just about to be on the come up and have done stuff and hopefully propels, puts a rocket on their back and propels them into superstardom. Um, like we said, we weren't really planning on doing another half episode on screen, but then the critical reception broke after the first preview screening, and it wasn't just like, oh, Scream is good. It was people gushing over yeah. how good Scream was, which really kind of excites us. So we're going to hit a couple of reviews off Twitter. Heather Wixon, at the horror chick, as someone who has been in love with this franchise for a little over 25 years now, I totally and completely loved Scream. Brutal kills, fun mystery, and both the legacy cast and newbies were great. Wes would be proud. Kevin McCarthy, at Kevin McCarthy TV, he says the fifth Scream film is the closest I've felt to the brilliance, excitement, and horror of Wes Craven's 1996 masterpiece. Hands down, the best Scream since the original. Beautifully honors the legacy of the first film while bringing a fresh yet brutal new tone to the franchise. I'm very excited. I hope. I think my expectations are getting too high now. Perry Nemiroff, at P. Nemiroff. I have seen the new Scream, and it's a winner. Yes, it's bloody, but also feels loaded with love and reverence for the original and the fandom it amassed and felt like it was take, talking to me to a degree. I was expecting a lot of 
it's nice to be back in Woodsboro. It's fun to have Scream back again. I was not expecting this amount of gushing. Now, a word of warning, we already said, uh, this could be a pundit parade issue. Hopefully mm-hmm. not, but maybe everyone's just excited to be back in a the movie theater, excited to be back with Ghostface, and they could be heightening all our expectations. We've had that issue before. I'm going to just be along for the ride at this point. I'm excited to see what we get from this Scream movie. Uh, this is also where we will say this is a spoiler warning for anyone that has not kept up with the Scream franchise. We may spoil a couple Screams in the past. We don't know what's going on with Scream 2022, so we will not be spoiling Scream 5 at all. We're going to talk about our some predictions, what we hope to see, and, and what we think might happen on Scream 5, but we don't know anything about it. We're going to see it cold, just like all of you will, but just as a word of warning, we may accidentally or incidentally spoil Screams 1, 2, 3, or 4. All right, and I got a couple of demands here. So with great hype okay. comes great responsibility, I, like I that. would say, at this point. And look, Scream 3 was a bit of a tonal mess, even though we don't like some of the things about it. We still love the movie, and that's going to be one of those things. Like We're fans, and we're obviously fans of this franchise, and we, we've done this throughout MMO history, mm-hmm. <laughs> where the movie is just... <laughs> I, I don't know how to put this. I got to be delicate <laughs> when I'm talking to you about some of these things. Where the movie is not necessarily Oscars fair, let's just say. It doesn't I don't necessarily get it doesn't get necessarily get nominated for Oscars when it's called Halloween Six. But but through but, no fault of it being Halloween Six, right? That's just the Academy screwing up. That's is what just you're the Academy yeah. screwing up. Fine. We'll, we'll just <laughs> I'll just nod my head at certain things you say. Look. I, I hope they get the tone right. So my yeah. my first demand, and this is much easier said than done, is that they don't have messiness in terms of a tone. And that's hard to do, but that's what they've built this series on. Like Scream 1 was really, really funny, and it was still very, very scary. So you had seriously important themes, and you had kind of, you know, you're able to joke about them uh, somehow. And I think that has to do with the the who done it being involved with the slasher movie and being a good fit and kind of melding those genres together. But it necessarily wasn't the same mix when Scream Three had serious stuff with Scooby Doo style finales. Yeah. So let's not go that way. I agree with that demand. I co-sign it. Scream Three, the reason for the change in tone was a little explainable if you view it in context of what was going on behind the scenes. But Ready or Not kind of was able to walk that tightrope, right? It was funny, and it was still appealing and charming, but it still had some scares and some frights. So I have hope that that can be pulled off. I don't think that's an unreasonable demand. I have an unreasonable demand, though, coming up next, because I want them to change the industry of Hollywood as we know it. (laughs) Okay, good. Sounds easy. So I demand certain rules one must abide by in order to survive a remake, reboot, sequel, a.k.a. reboot quill. I want the reboot quilt <laughs> rules to be laid out, and I want these rules to be laid out in such a funny way or poignant way. It could be serious, like Dewey Cox. Or Dewey. Mm-hmm. Dewey could be not Dewey Cox. Dewey Cox. Not, Him too. Please, if he makes please not Dewey Cox in a serious way, but <laughs> Dewey could lay out these rules. You know, in his, you know, Sylvester Stallone at the, be- the beginning of Rambo 5 <laughs> little bunker there. He could be laying these out in a serious way, but I want them to shame the industry into doing these reboot quills better. Because it's there's few and far between 2018's Halloween or Creed. 
I think, again, I know nothing about the movie, but Kevin Williamson is attached. Mm-hmm. The rules are going to have to come. You're, you're going to get something about rules. What else could they have rules about if not a rebootquel type thing or a commentary on how there's, you know, they're restarting this again? It has to be in there, doesn't it? I really need him to be in there. I hope he's not <laughs> talking about uh, what do you even call a five movie arc? A pentet something? <laughs> a pentology? A, pentology. a pentathlon? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> If he starts saying penta something whatever, it's not pentagram, I'm going to be upset. Done. With Mr. Arquette. Mike, I have one more. Again, it's a large ask. It's a mm-hmm. demand, though. Okay. So I got to be I got to be fervent with it. And that's I want Dewey and Gale to both get their moments. I need Dewey to be taken seriously by anyone. anyone. And I need Gale I need Gale. One of two things got to happen with Gale. Gale either has to figure out the killer, and I want her to use some wholesome journalistic, uh, you know, skills rather than ruthless opportunism. Maybe a mix of the two. She could bend the line. Well, wait a minute. She's sell out. She's she's been. I mean, she is a ruthless opportunist. That's Gale. Fine. She's got to. She's got to find the killer. Or Sydney's got to approve of gail in some way shape or form i'm done with that rivalry they've been through too much together i'll settle for just like a nod of some sort where sydney approves of gail because that relationship has just been too icy for four films well they hugged when they met at the police station in scream three yeah but it you know she may have felt sorry for her bangs Nev Campbell's just like looking at that Swedish bangs thing, and, and she's like, "Eh, I feel bad about that haircut. I'll hug you." Well, I'm Courtney Cox sure just came out with a thing. She just made fun of her bangs from that movie. She just came out with a thing about that. I'm pretty sure Nev Campbell was in a wig in Scream Three too. I'm pretty sure that was in director's commentary. But I like. Okay, you want Dewey and Gale to be taken seriously, and that kind of bleeds right into what I want to talk about with. Let's talk about and focus on the big three. We've already mm-hmm. hinted at how we feel this will go with uh, a couple of these characters. One of them, I don't know that we've talked about in depth, so I'll leave that for last. But of the big three, the OG three, who dies? Do you think Sydney dies? No. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised a January release, Sydney dies. Oh, okay. So you're basing it wholly off of release date. I don't think Gale and Dewey want to carry the torch of of the mentor hero in this franchise. I think Sydney can be the mentor hero. Like you can like when you have a mentor hero, it's it's like a couple of scenes. Mm. You need one character to handle that. Dewey's kind of doing it in this movie with the rules, right? And he's not going to do it in every of these future sequels like Sydney should do it, right? Do you think Sydney is going to be the focus of this movie? I'm not necessarily sure of that, but I think she's got to survive it. I think this movie can hopefully do well. They want it to do well. They want I agree. sequels to this movie, correct? I yes, and I agree because they because I'm thinking they want sequels to this. Sydney survives. I mean, she's in like Jennifer Lopez level shape, so I mean, it's not like she can't do action movies for the next ten years. It's true. That's a good point. I think um, Sydney lives. I agree. All right, so we're on the record there. <laughs> I'm not great with these predictions, though, by the way, in these pre-episodes, but <laughs> Gail, what, what do you think is going to happen with Sydney? Do you think she's going to die or do you think... No, you know? I think Sydney lives. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think they want 
sequels, I don't know how you have Scream without Sydney. Hmm. T- to me, Sydney can live and Gale and Dewey can die. But if Sydney dies, all three of them are dying. That's how it works in my mind. Yeah. I that, don't know that if, makes they some would, sense. if they would do that right now. Um, Gail, we've talked about. We both think she's dead. Gail's got an uphill battle to survive this yeah. one. But I, I want her to have her moment, like I said. Dewey, I could go either way on. I I think he's Well, that's we haven't though. talked a lot about Dewey. So where do you, like, gun to your head, knife to your throat in terms of the Scream series, where do you see Dewey going with this? Because if he's going to be, like, this ultimate changed character where he is this rugged veteran who's like laying down the law now and ready to go one last ride like he's being portrayed so differently in the trailer that it almost makes me think uh, there's no way he's surviving there's no way he's surviving in my opinion i think he's done he's dead dead. all right i think i do too so all right so gail is the question we didn't we didn't throw our well i i think gail Gail, i think gail is more dead than dewey is i think gail is the one i if i had to bet on one of these three dying I would put my money on Gale. I don't think they're going to kill off two of the three. Really? Uh, what what does Courtney just... Cox need this, this franchise for anymore? No, she's got a kajillion bajillion dollars. That's she what doesn't. I think. Right? She doesn't. But, I mean, there is a lot of Sid and Gale stills going out there, right? She's in the. They're together. They're working together at one point, we think. So maybe so. they could be like a, a tandem going forward after this. I have I not. Know. I'm playing I've, devil's I've, advocate against myself because originally I was like, "No, Gail's going down." Well, I've I've not. I've resisted studying the the, the trailers like the Zapruder film because I want to like just go in fresh and just experience it. Right. But no, I don't I want to either. Noticed, but it doesn't seem like Gail's in a lot of different backgrounds in the shots she's shown in that trailer. Uh, I could be wrong. I didn't. I didn't study it. But like, it seems like it's all in that like one shot where they're holding the flashlight and they give that, that line where Sydney goes, are you ready for this? And Gail responds, you know, never. That seems like it's all taken place. All Gail's scenes are in that one area. That is concerning to me. If Sid and Gail have a genuine moment that doesn't involve a bad haircut where they hug each other (laughs) and good call, good call. And Gail still dies. uh, I'll be okay with it. Yeah. But I like where you're going with that. Yeah, I don't All know. Right. I'll, I'll right. be, here's the good news. I'll be surprised either way on Gale. I think Dewey's going down. Gale, I, I'll be surprised either way. Interesting. So you, if you had to put money on one of these three dying, you're putting your money on Dewey. Yeah, but I'm not a gambler. But well, I, yeah, I, I put my money on Dewey. It's not a bet that exists. <laughs> I don't think you could. I don't think anyone would take this money. You would take my money. If I you, would take you, your money. <laughs> yeah, you would take my money. Uh, do we have anyone come back? We've talked about Stu. We've talked about Kirby. Is there another Loomis out there? Is Maureen Prescott really dead? I don't want anybody to come back. Just give me a new ghost face. I mean, it's 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 been in the lore. It's been in the it's been in a legend. Give me a copycat killer. Give me a. I don't think I necessarily need the legacy of of another related murderer necessarily. Like it could be could be collateral damage. I hope there's not another related murder, or at least related in the sense of Jill in Scream Four is Sydney's niece or cousin or whatever. Like, how much does this work if it's Stu from the you know he's got the piece together Leatherface? Well, Mike, I think we're how does gonna that find work out. for you? I think we're going to find out how it works. 
because I you I am so convinced. I am so convinced, Stukum. I have not read anything. I have avoided absolutely everything online, but I am so convinced Matthew Lillard is going to be a part of this movie because, and it has to do with Kevin Williamson because he was in Scream One as the killer. He was in the background of Scream Two, as everybody knows, because uh, he was dating Nev Campbell at the time. Kevin Williamson wrote Scream One and Scream Two. He was supposed to be Kevin Williamson's big reveal on Scream 3, except they didn't go with Kevin Williamson's script, so they paid him and just didn't have him show up. He visited the set on Scream 4, even though he wasn't didn't have anything to do with the movie, and Kevin Williamson, we know, was the writer on Scream 4, and Williamson's a producer now in Scream 5 here. I, I Matthew Lillard is somewhere. He's somewhere pacing around this. You would have fun with it, is what you're saying? You're, you're like if this, if you see this, would this be a reveal where you would get up and say, and and and, and scream at the the screen, or no? It, it, I don't know how they're gonna do it if it happens. It, it right, needs so to be done well. Yeah, it's contingent it, on the execution. Yeah, it needs to be done well, and I need a good explanation as to where the fuck he's been. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just come back. <laughs> If you've been in jail all this time for 25 years, someone's going to know. He only sleeps <laughs> underneath a pillow that has a pillowcase of a TV on it. <laughs> totally changed my sleeping habits. I can only sleep on electronics now. <laughs> um, Second to last question. How many kills are shown in Scream 5? Huh. Now... Here's the body count we've seen on screen for related movies. Scream 1 had 7 kills shown on screen. Scream 2 had 10. Scream 3 had 10. Scream 4 had 11, not counting the murders at the start of the film that were the beginning of stab movies and stab sequels. So 11 Mm -hmm. on-screen kills for Scream 4 within the Scream universe. Ready or Not had 15. So I put the over-under at 11 for Scream 5 kills on screen. That's a good over-under, because I would typically say more for newer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my original assessment of this over-under, I was like, that's too high. But I think now I, I don't know what to pick, so that means it's a good over-under. 11 is a good over-under. I, if I had to bet my life on it, I would bet more. I would bet over, which is t- to- totally different than the answer I prepared earlier. Because I was like, all right, I think they're going to focus. Yeah. The cast is so huge. It's funny we're thinking the exact same way about this. Yeah. I'm going to say over. Because I'm thinking Body the same count. thing. I was like, it's in, it's in new hands. They want to be more precise and direct with the kills and have them mean more. They don't want just a bloodbath. But we've seen these guys do a bloodbath already. They had 15 deaths on screen and they were all enjoyable. <laughs> we loved all the deaths. <laughs> I, think I, I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to go over as well. They're good um, at a lot of death. <laughs> Last question, and again, the preface to this being that we know absolutely nothing about the plot or any of these characters <laughs> that are assigned or actors involved with this. Who's the killer or killers? Oh, God. I think this is a tough question, but you have some characters that just look like killers. And what do I mean? Sadie from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mikey Madison... She looks like a killer. Is that mm-hmm. too much of a red herring just based on looks? If you, you, can you read books by their cover when, when it comes to the screen franchise? I don't think you can. So Jack Quaid, same deal. Like I've seen him brutally murder, murder people on screen uh, in The Boys. And 
no, I can't I can't say I can't pick these two in good conscience because I feel like they're the obvious answers. But they do have the you know, they do have the look, let's just mm. say, if I'm judging books by their cover. Now, a guy who could kind of skirt under the radar who does have a familial connection to another character is Dylan Minnette of 13 Reasons Why. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. He is Deputy Judy Hicks's brother, husband, son, son mm. friend. Wes Hicks. I have mm. I have my eye on him going in. Mm. And he's he's plays in that show about the the high school kids who are what are they, you know, one of them 13 reasons why something very bad happened. I know the premise, I don't want to mention it, but he's used to handling some heavy heavy subject matter as an actor. So I feel like he can bend there. I, I would tell you this, though. I would be genuinely surprised, number one, in her ability or the plot if Melissa Barrera of In the Heights fame, because she was featured in In the Heights, if she could pull off that level of happy and beautiful and sing-along you know, level musical goods and then go and, and be the, the ghost face, are you kidding yeah. me, and pull off that level of evil, I'm looking at her acting prowess as something to be reckoned with in terms of Melissa Barrera's career. That's where I'm at. I really, really like your explanation. And you're right. A lot of these, uh, just the, the headshots, a lot of these people like, you're hiding a killer behind those eyes. I can see it. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> she did it with him. What if it's more than two? Yeah, well, it could be if your theory about uh, Matthew Lillard's playing in. I just, uh, are, are they surprising the Scream faithful with a Matthew Lillard playing out that plot line? No. So it's got to be really cool on how they do it. And they, they can't just follow the following. What if Matthew Lillard comes back but gets killed? Like, what if it's a thing where Stu thinks he's the puppet master, but he actually gets off? He's a pawn in a bigger game. Now I'm thinking Who's like it's a Saw movie. Him? Yeah, now I'm thinking like it's a Saw movie. Just a twist on top of twist. <laughs> Billy's been alive. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just want to be able to say, you didn't fool me. <laughs> I know what you did. I saw it coming. Skeet has been somewhere. <laughs> no, don't Palpatine this. I don't need the Palpatine thing. I don't. But if it makes you happy, I'm willing to allow it. But like you said, you have qualifiers. Like, it's got to be done well. Like, if you just I, get the plot yeah. of the following, you're not that no. happy, are you? No. And I also, as far as who I think, just looking at the cast list, I got my eye on Jasmine Savoy Brown. Well, she played a, a character that had much more to do in the leftovers than we thought mm. she's in i don't know what yellow jackets is about but everybody it, keeps it, but talking yeah about the it. yellow jackets thing is is what like hmm it's hmm. what my dad calls a bear suit movie or bear <laughs> what, suit I, show what i god's made the name mistake. does that mean <laughs> i made the mistake of that showing possibly. my dad midsummer a couple years back <laughs> He has been angry with me ever since. Every movie recommendation I've given him has been tormented by the fact that he asked me, is this a bear suit movie? So I'm thinking Yellow Jackets is a bear suit show. It's it's a show that involves, you know, basically people running out around the woods, killing each other, cults, scary stuff, executions, terrifying stuff. So she's from that show, right? Yes could be she i'm not i'm not i'm not looking past anyone but i'm certainly not looking past her 
I just, I don't know if I want to end the episode without throwing more conspiracy theories out there so I can say I was right about any of them, but I will. I'll end it. I won't put the audience through that. I'm, I'm just excited. I, I just, I'm, I'm very happy we're getting a scream. I'm happy people liked it. I hope it lives up to expectations. I don't at this point foresee how it possibly can (laughs) in my mind anyway. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm hoping even if you don't like it, you still love it at the end of the day. And that's where we're at with a lot of these movies. We love them unconditionally in a way. Good call. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'm sure I'm I'm just going to, I'm just ready for the ride, man. And it's like a dog pooping in your shoe. You're like, if it's your dog, (laughs) you you love your dog no matter what. I don't understand why studios don't get after us for pull quotes to put on their posters. <laughs> Scream five. It's like a dog pooping in your shoe. If it's your dog. <laughs> End of quote. Yes. As always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. What are your predictions about what's going to go down in Scream Five? Let us know, as well as uh, anything else, any other, co- as well as any other thoughts you have about the Golden Globe Awards, any of the Scream movies, the MMO Screams miniseries, anything having coming out in Sundance that we talked about. Do you have other Sundance titles you're looking forward to? Let us know all of that, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you may have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all of those on our social medias. We are. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available wherever you hear podcasts. You've been listening to us on the Apple Podcasts app or on Spotify now. Uh, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, uh, that would truly make our day. We would thank all of you who have done so thus far. Michael, tell the good people what's coming next, and let's get some words of wisdom to go out on. Well, we got another Oscar race checkpoint on the SAG nominations, Screen Actors Guild, on the BAFTA long list. We'll do a little bit of uh, an old segment that we used to do a lot of, and that's Mm -hmm. uh, what we're watching. I will save the singing of it until the next episode. (laughs) Like you said, we're going to take the weekend to do the film study of Scream, so we'll come back with a, a full, you know... Uh, movie review Erection. episode. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> review episode. <laughs> of Scream 5 uh, for That's you guys to open up next week. Uh, we don't know what other Oscar profiles we're going to do. We got Oscar Race Checkpoints that are con- going to continue. But uh, maybe Cyrano, maybe Drive My Car. We got some more time to play with than we thought. So we, we might still be able to yeah, do like movie review Yeah, like a episodes. lot more time. <laughs> but we're going to keep, you know enjoying like other fare like i don't know if jackass forever is going to be a full episode for us or it might just be a high-fiving session we do in the theaters together so here's the thing with jackass forever whether or not we do a full episode it's going to be the movie that works its way into every episode (laughs) probably right but here's the thing like it's oscar nomination week how are we gonna do, like? We got to do the prediction show. We got to do the Oscars noms. We got to do the Fallout Oscar noms. We make the time show. for the legacy pictures. Oh my god, <laughs> it's gonna have to be a third episode that week. But you might get some bonus three episode weeks going forward. I don't want to commit to that, but we're gonna try to do that as we as we go. Uh, words of wisdom, uh, I would say, you know, if you have. And I said it before, right? If you have great hype comes great responsibility. I like that, and yeah. Th- therefore, you know, you should demand excellence from mm-hmm. it. And if it comes anywhere short, then, uh, again, if it's your dog. I mean, dog poops in your shoe, yeah. 
then you still love it. You just won't like them very much. I, did I mix my metaphors? <laughs> with great, with great expectations. Going great, a, a perfect quote that you made wholly by yourself, totally original. Just now, no paraphrasing or stealing. I am. I should be in an improv group. <laughs> I should. I should start one. And going to the top. Going right to the top. Nice. When reality sucks, or you you just can't wait for the next screen movie. You can come get hyped with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.